Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined on the show this week by our head of consulting, Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hey, Dom. How are you doing? Um, well, hey, Corinne, last week we did an episode on the sort of differences between constructive and aggressive styles, blue and, and red, particularly those kind of border cases, you know, that there's a fine line. They are next door to each other after all, you know, mm. so kind of picking that apart. And we talked about it last time, and so I thought what we should do is then, of course, the other side, right? So what's the those border cases, those differences between what falls in the constructive side and what falls maybe in the passive-defensive green side, you know, those kind of border cases on that side of it. How does that sound? Sounds good. I, I kind of think of it as um, I've got this Western theme going in my mind where it's like walking the line, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> when, it, when does it turn, when does something that's meant to be blue turn into a green? Totally, right? And I think it's so easy to do that because – you know, often it's good intentions and stuff behind it, right? Mm. But it's just how does it come out? Is it effective, you mm. know, or, or otherwise? So I've got a few examples, sort of this versus that kind of examples for us to work through and, and just discuss. Great. Now, the first one I had written down was the difference between being nice and being kind, right? It's an interesting one. I really had to think about that when you um, raised it. What's the difference yeah. So what what do you? Because I I see nice. You know, if I'm being nice, I'm falling into that green side of mm. the divide, right? I'm being mm. nice. I don't mm. tell Corinne that there's anything wrong. Yeah. You know that her performance isn't up to scratch or something, right? That's nice. Yeah. We kind of avoid conflict or something. Yeah. But being kind is actually telling Corinne, hey, you know, this is where it's lacking in some areas. And what can we do? You know, what's the support behind that is, is the kind of kind side of that. What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree. I'm, I think it's useful to go back and think about satisfaction versus security mm. and what motivates someone to be nice versus motivation for being kind. And um, I think we talked about this when, you know, Red and Blue podcast as well. So mm. I think that one of the distinctions between blue and green, you know that you might be sliding towards the green when you're holding back. Mm. Okay. You're holding back a little piece of you and it might be an opinion. It might be a feeling. It might be perspective, but you are consciously or you feel yourself holding back and there's some kind of a withholding moving away from. Mm. So to me, you know, and, and nice is kind of tricky because you could be nice without it being a defensive True. term, really. But if we, to me, nice is probably leans a little bit more across the border into approval than kind does. Okay. Mm. And the reason for is I think that sometimes when we are in the approval zone, we feel being nice becomes a strategy for actually feeling safe in a relationship. Mm. Being nice means that I'm I'm just going to keep things level. I'm going to be complimentary. I'm going to be affable. I'm not going to say anything that might upset you because I'm going to be nice about it. So I think, 
you know, while I kind of want to recognise it, it is possible for nice to actually be constructive, but often in the circumplex we see that if what's motivating being nice is you're kind of holding back, that squarely puts you in the green zone. Yeah, it's interesting. If you think in terms of the LSI, you know, there's items Mm. under affiliative and Mm. the constructive style, which is like pleasant, friendly. Friendly, yeah. And then there's items in approval, which is friendly all of the time. Yes. You know, be a nice guy, stuff like this. So so it's a fine line, you know, between those two. So I I love your comment though. What's the motivation? Yeah. And I think if you feel that you kind of find yourself being nice, you know, using a euphemism or kind of watching your words and how you phrase things, but it's not actually a true reflection of how you're feeling in that moment, that's more likely to be a clue that you're being pulled towards the green zone Mm. rather than the constructive zone. Whereas I think kind, you can be kind and still hold your position. You You can be kind and respectful, but not not withhold information that goes with it. I can't remember if you shared that example on podcast, but I really like the example that you've got between nice and kind. Which I borrowed from a client, so they'll know who they <laughs> Thank are. Thank you. They'll know who they are. But but I like it too, so I, I shamelessly adopted it, which is you know, nice is not telling someone they have spinach in their teeth. Right? I don't want to embarrass you. But being kind is actually telling them there is spinach in their teeth. Right, because then they can do something about it. Yeah. You know? And to me, so when I hear that, it's kind of the difference between approval and humanistic encouraging. Mm, mm. Right. And and I often describe humanistic encouraging. I think people see that style and they see the encouraging word and stuff and they mm, think it's like mm. just kind of cheerleading, everything's good, everything's awesome. And, and interestingly, think, they think it's nice. <laughs> and they think it's nice, right? Yeah, it's about being nice. But actually I don't think it is. You know, and I think to me, it's like the coaching type style, right? And and the best coach, leader, mentor, manager you've ever had challenged you, stretched you, mm-hmm. you know, which isn't nice. Nice is don't worry about it, Corinne, if the you know performance wasn't up to standard. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. It's all good, mm-hmm. you know. But actually, the coaching is we fell short, you know, but yeah. how are we going to learn, grow, develop to actually get there? And yeah. so to me, that's kind because it's setting people up mm. actually to improve and get better and take the spinach out of their teeth, so to speak, <laughs> from the metaphor. That's right. Yep. So I think for me, the key thing, if you're trying to work out, you know, where am I coming from? If I say this is going to land in the green or is it blue, go to your intent, you know, and go to your your motivation. And that's not just about thinking your motivation because you can rationalize that. It's actually Mm. about going into what it feels like. And if it feels like you're a little bit nervous and, you know, you're a little bit uncomfortable, that's probably another cue that if you default to nice, that you're kind of letting something go that is not wholly true to how you feel. Mm. I don't think it's black and white. You know, I think that it, it could represent an aspect, but it's not the whole picture. And I think that's the thing with passive defensive styles is very often when we default to a green style, it's not we're not putting all of us forward. We're not coming forward to be right. seen in the all of who we are. Yeah. We're a little bit careful, be cautious. Hold back a little. Yep. Hold back play just a little bit. Check that it's safe before I come out to play, you know, it's that kind of 
instinct. So I, I, what I found interesting in what you're saying just then is that, you know, what's your motivation? But what does it feel like? Because I hear all the time in, in debriefs, people kind of justify the motivation like, no, actually, I am coming from this place. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they really are, you know, and I, mm. I, mean, I guess they know their motivation better than me, but... <laughs> But do you know what I mean? Like you kind of get in a sense yeah. like they're kind of telling you telling you that, you know, one well, I night. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, Dom, I think that I know what you mean. The other thing that I think though, because the borderland, you know, this walking the line is kind of grey and a bit messy. Mm. And the reason it's grey and a bit messy is because it probably has a little bit of everything in it. Sure. It probably does have what I genuinely think and feel and mix into it is are the shades of maybe not really being prepared to admit, you know, mm-hmm. how I really feel about it. So I think, you know, it can be quite lots of sort of less black and white and more shades of grey. And so I think that's why it's also the land of rationalisation, you know, we can justify. Yeah. You know, maybe on that one, which I think is similar shade of grey and, and what's the motivation is respectful versus deferring yeah <laughs> you know like because i think that's one where i'm just being respectful yeah you know and yeah. hey that's a good thing i'm, I'm yeah. not encouraging you to be disrespectful yeah you know? and but where, it reminds where does it tip me, you know into kind of just deferring and just to apologize for speaking over you just so you know folks that we're in our home studio and so I can't quite see Dom all of the time, so it may be that we trip over each other occasionally when we're talking. That's all right. I'll defer to you, Corinne. You're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Dad joke Glad for the to day. see you showing respect. <laughs> um, so when we talk about respect, the thing that I immediately, my mind goes to is I, there's an item in conventional, very respectful mm. of superiors. Mm. Okay. And, you know, it's a kind of, I think it's a lower order item. And so people say, well, what's wrong with that? Mm. Okay, well, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Your keyword there is very, you know, and it's, so it's also about how often, all the time. And it's not about not being respectful, but respectful versus deferring. So you've, are you so respectful in the, the description that you're applying to your behavior is are you able to still speak up and question authority mm. if it's appropriate? And so being respectful inherently allows you to do that, you know, to be able to say, hey, I disagree or I have a different view, whereas deferring means that you're actually going to back away from speaking up and having a different view, especially to those in authority. But it may also apply to your peers, your direct reports. Anyone. Mm. Mm. That's how I think about it. I, I to like, me, it's still about the movement. Can I move? Can I be myself? Does it allow me to be myself and come forward or does it cause me to step away from how I really think and feel about these things? I like that as a definition. You know, We can have a different view or have our own thoughts and still be respectful. Those are not mutually exclusive terms, yeah. right? But when we get into deferring, well, then I'm kind of giving away whatever my thought was or, or you know, idea. Yeah, and the other person walks away with a bit more, you know, yes. like because you kind of you've sold yourself short in order to give somebody else more space, you know, more validity when yeah. it may not be how you felt. Yeah, totally. 
Building on that one, then, I've got another one for you in a similar <laughs> ilk, I think, which is compromising mm. versus accommodating. Yeah. Right? Same kind of same kind of area, I think. Yeah, I think there's some similarity. When I think about that, those two terms, compromise versus... Accommodating. Thank you. <laughs> compromise versus accommodating. It reminds me of... So the accommodating would be in the approval. So... It's one thing to agree to disagree or to agree on a compromise, whereas I think if you're accommodating, accommodating can also be helpful, but it's the frequency with which you do it. Mm. Okay, So I think that compromise, again, to me, is associated with an opinion that I've owned, but I've consciously agreed to sign up to a new solution, a new outcome that is not everything that I wanted, but it is, you know, incorporates a, a component of it. So to me, compromise allows me to be me and to have my voice and to, to speak and to own and to arrive at something that I can live with, mm. but I've had the discussion. Whereas accommodating can be that, I've made room, I've given up something, I've, mm. you know, I've been accommodating. And this is where it gets tricky, you know, because it's a really fine line between the two. And so if I think about accommodating, I find that when people have approval spikes, say to sort of 50th percentile, it's not necessarily the highest mm. and there might be some blue in their profile and they say, I don't really get this, I don't understand what I'm doing that people might perceive as being you know, approval-oriented. And in that sort of circumstance, and I test this with them, you know, sometimes it can be because their experience of you is that you accommodate other people's view and that really lands with them. That's why I think accommodating can more easily kind of drop into the green zone than something like a compromise or consensus, something that we've arrived to together yeah. versus me giving it up and letting you, you know, that, shape. That's interesting because you sparked a thought for me, which is you see those, particularly in group processes, you know, like when groups are trying to, we're trying to decide a solution for something or, or you know, um, that kind of stuff. And there's a need when we're in that accommodating zone, a need to incorporate everyone's idea yeah. Right, and and you kind of yeah. end up with you know what do they say a, a camel is a horse designed That's by right. committee. That's right. Um, yeah, and, and you can end up with that because we want to keep everyone mm. happy, right? But you end up with a suboptimal. You know, it's it's not actually mm. a great solution because we can't have some of the conversations we actually need to have. Yeah, and, and so it's like we want to compromise, but it doesn't mean we have to take everything. Yeah, you know, I feel like in accommodating. I mean, you know, and. People who are listening to this, we're not, we're having conversations, so it would be actually good to hear people's views. To me, there's something in accommodating that is associated with giving something up, like it's more of a resignation, you know, okay, all right, then it's that kind of, I'm accommodating it because I need to, I have to, versus an agreement, you know, a conscious choice that we've arrived at together mm. here's i'm gonna take us down <laughs> down the You're rabbit gonna hole take us down a rabbit hole i'm gonna take us down a rabbit hole 
because I was, I was just thinking. I always get like, a little bit frightened when you say that. <laughs> I was just thinking um, of situations. Say we've got someone in, you know, the business that I, that I've got to work with, and they're just like tough work, you know, like yeah, yeah, you know, highly oppositional or something. Yeah. Just like, is there a place for kind of accommodating them? Like I'm going to work around and with them, but it rather than from a kind of green point of view, it's actually almost an achievement point of view because it's like mm. I'm going to find a way to make it work and kind of mm. get around them so they don't mm. kind of become a barrier mm. to us moving forward but that may mean like just keep them happy over there give mm. them give them that thing that they need or whatever that they're complaining about fine give it to them if that keeps them happy and then we can go over here and execute so it's almost the same step but for a totally different reason if you see what I mean I do, and I think that the motivation is different. And I'd also go a little bit further and say that when you're doing, you're working with someone who is, you know, difficult to work with, you know, in that example, I think if you're constructive, if you're achievement or humanistic encouraging, you aren't necessarily trying to win every battle. and And so there are times when you will agree you might let something go but over the course of the number of interactions that you have with that person, you're always actively looking to negotiate. Right. That's what makes it constructive. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Whereas I think that when you're dealing with someone and they're difficult and they crowd you out, you know, and sometimes when we're in the oppositional and that's charged with high energy, frustration, anger, mm. it can really be intimidating for some people. So I think. It leans more, you cross into the green zone when you end up letting every point that you've got go mm. in order to keep them happy. Mm. Okay, that's, I think, being accommodating to manage a threat versus being accommodating to progress the work and to continue to build, remain active in yes. the relationship. Yeah, so Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's kind of back to that, what's your motivation? Yeah, yeah it's always. Such a, such always. a key question, yeah. isn't it? got another one for you then which is on maybe also a kind of similar thing and this is one i hear a lot a lot in debriefs which is you know consulting versus being indecisive yeah you know so like oh i'm just checking in with people right i want to get yeah. everyone's views and part of that you know people who explain it is well i just want to make sure i'm bringing people on the journey right we're yeah. supposed to do that you know, get people involved. We're supposed to do mm. that totally. Mm. But at what point does it tip from being, hey, we want to include people to actually we can't move forward because I, I like I want to make sure I'm okay with everyone, you know, and everyone yeah. kind of defer responsibility. Uh, yeah, responsibility. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I hear it all the time too, and I think it will show up in if it's in green, it'll show up either in approval or dependent. Mm. I would say. It could show up either. I think it's, it leans more towards dependent when I've worked with it with clients. But if you think about it, I'm consulting, I want to take everybody on the journey, it's coming from approval if you're trying to keep everybody happy, mm. okay, if you're trying to keep everybody on side and maintain harmony, okay. So it's coming from approval if your greatest felt motivation is trying to keep everybody happy versus trying to negotiate the best outcome or make the best decision, you know, irrespective of how happy it makes people. Mm. It comes more from dependent, this 
consulting versus indecisive comes more from dependent if you actually don't feel that you can make the decision without consulting and talking to lots of people Mm. in order to gain assurance. Mm. So again, it comes back to the motivation. What's motivating me to consult? I'm calling it consulting. But if I know in my heart of hearts that I actually don't feel comfortable taking the decision without that, Mm. you know, and this happens to me often, then that's likely to be more dependent. I'm looking for direction and assurance from others. So it's not just consulting, it's actually direction. And I think it can even fall into avoidance where it's like, I don't Mm. want to be, you know, it's kind of by spreading the decision making across lots of people, no one's now responsible for it. Yeah. And again, it's it's a tricky border case because it's like, you know, in a team, in a leadership team, Mm. we want to make team decisions, right? We want to land on it as a team. And that makes sense. We want that. That's a good thing. But sometimes I think it can become, or no one's truly responsible, Mm. right? It was just like the team decision, but it's kind of a vague thing. No one's owned it. No one actually owns it, right? It's like the the mythical team. It's not even like a kind of first person our team or something. And And to your point, I think it could also come from avoidance, the indecisive bit, especially because you might say, well, I haven't been able to make a decision because we've got differing views. Mm. I can't do that without upsetting them, you know, and, and that's True. a reluctance to, and so there's a risk in making any call and therefore I need to take some time, you know. Yeah. So then that comes more from the avoidance. Again, I'm trying to minimise the threat of upsetting people and getting things wrong, you know, the risk of getting things wrong. And so rather than make a mistake, I'm just going to sit on it for a little bit and see what happens or I'm going to wait for new info or I'm going to wait to see or I'm going to escalate it and get my decision that way. It's hard because I kind of get that one. I think we all, well, maybe no, I'm (laughs) speaking for myself. I kind of get that one, (laughs) you know, when someone's like, you know, here's their idea or something and we're not going to go with that idea, but you're like, Mm. oh, I don't want to crush them or something, you know, so, oh, you know, and then it's like, oh, I don't want to upset them. So, you know, and then you sit on the fence or something, you know, like, yeah, you see that play out. I've definitely fallen into that trap before. Me too. You know, all of this stuff that we're talking about, Dom, is human, right? Like Mm, people wanting and aiming with best intent, but their life experience has shown them different lessons that makes them reluctant to follow through because they've had an experience where last time they did that, it upset them or it caused a problem. And, you know, and so I think it's really human. I've done it too, but I go back to your initial, the two words, nice versus kind, Mm. you know. So in that moment where you're reluctant to come forward, are you being nice or are you being kind? Mm. You know, are you, is it helping helping them? Is it helping that person team move forward? So I think, you know, and sometimes people just need to take a little bit of time. I think it's okay to take a bit of time to warm up into taking action. You know, I think the issue is, is when you, you kind of, you're unable to move forward, you're unable to take the action that you think is the right or the most effective thing to do in that moment. You know, like it's not following somebody else's prescription. It's what you think is the best 
most effective thing that you can do in that moment. You pull away from that. Mm. I think when you pull away from a standard that you have, I think it costs your soul a little bit, Mm. you know. It's hard to kind of feel good about yourself. Of course, we need to have compassion, but I think that that's the cost of being in the green zone. There's just a little piece of us that we keep giving away. Mm -hmm. Mm. Related to that one then, so you know, I'm full of the uh, <laughs> firing, uh, firing on all cylinders is delegating versus mm. abdicating, and this <laughs> is another one I think comes up a lot, right? Well, I'm just empowering people, I'm just delegating, you know, it's their decision to make, but I think sometimes that tips over into kind of abdicating responsibility as a leader, you know. So, I'd be interested in your thoughts between the difference yeah. in those. Yes, I think we actually might have had a podcast where we talked about delegation and some of the when it goes wrong sometimes. I think the difference between delegating and abdicating is when you delegate, the leader hasn't relinquished their accountability. (laughs) They haven't relinquished their responsibility. Mm. They're not handing it over and saying, here you go, over to you. What they're doing is empowering, giving someone a piece of work and, and empowering them to do that work. Mm. It is particularly not abdicating if the person that you're delegating to is competent Mm. and can do the job. Mm. Then I would say that that's delegating and empowering. I think delegation becomes abdication when the leader steps away from the delivery of that work completely Mm. and their team members on their own. Right. Okay. So there's no cover. It's right, no so if it falls down, well, do, that's Dominic's yeah. fault. He was working that's on that. That's right. Kind of yeah, I knew I shouldn't have delegated to him. <sighs> he wasn't ready, yeah. you know. And so sometimes leaders who find it difficult to delegate kind of almost set up this unwittingly perhaps, you know, and sometimes unconsciously I think more often is that they'll try and delegate and they'll give it to somebody who's probably not ready mm. for it to be delegated to them. That person won't succeed It'll reinforce this view that I've got to do everything myself. You know, if you want something done properly, do it yourself. So I think abdication is when you you completely step away, you abdicate your responsibility. You know, what are you abdicating? Your responsibility for delivering that outcome. You're abdicating your responsibility as a leader for supporting and encouraging and coaching the person to be able, setting them up for success. Mm. So whereas I think when you delegate you're walking with them, you're beside them, you're there to support them, you're encouraging them, and you're there to make sure that they learn from their mistakes while they don't, that they're not diminished from the experience, that they're right. supported to grow. And you still take ultimate ownership over it. So. Ultimate ownership, yeah, yeah it's, accountability. It's, yeah, so you know, if they miss the mark or something, then you know, I didn't explain what we were trying to achieve clearly enough. You know, or yeah. I didn't give you the resources or context or whatever it might be enough. You know, I missed something when I was doing the delegation that didn't set them up for success, clearly. You know, and yeah. that then you're still owning it versus, oh, well, you know, I told you. And actually, it's interesting as you're talking because you said, you know, people sometimes when they do it set up for failure. And you kind of reference someone who's maybe more on the aggressive side, actually, power perfectionistic, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so true and it's true of both this podcast and the last when people are like on one side and they try to do the other, they overcorrect into rather than stopping in blue, they go from red to green or or from green yeah. to red. Yeah. And so, yeah, the 
the perfectionist is like, oh, you need to delegate more. You need to empower others. Okay, well, Corinne, you do it. And now it's like, but you haven't really yeah. set them up for success. You haven't, you know, empowering is more than just giving people the the work or even the authority. It's giving them the training, the resources, yeah. the equipment, you know, the time to and practice. It, and it, it's standing with them, beside them when it goes pear-shaped and it gets messy and, you know, you nobody really wants to be dealing with that stuff then, but that's exactly when the leader's needed. You just made me think, Dom, you're right, that kind of distinction around abdication really references a little bit more of the red. I think where abdication, delegation versus abdication might reference a bit more of the avoidance is when it's a bit more, same thing, but from a different motivation. Mm. So I'm stepping away and it's almost like, whew, can shift that responsibility. It's not mine anymore. It's right. yours. Mm. Off you go. Mm. You know? mm. So I think it would come more from avoidance if the motivation is really to to run away from the responsibility, you know, the the heaviness of the responsibility and you're just shifting responsibility. I think that's an avoidance association. And again, it's one of those ones in your heart of hearts, what's truly motivating you to you yeah. know, do whatever you're doing. Because I think a lot of people will kind of defend it and say, oh, no, I'm just trying to empower them. Yeah. It, and it's an interesting one because I think that the practitioners who are listening, and even if you're not a practitioner and you're just listening to this for yourself, one of the things that I question myself if I find myself in that kind of spot and even working with clients is if the answer, if I challenge myself and it comes like, oh, no, no, it's not abdication, I'm doing it. For this, then the question to me is how often do you do that? You know, like is it every time that you would do it that mm. you're in that circumstance or have you got evidence of times that you've been able to act differently? Because mm. to me, you know, I remember once it's person who was working with approval and she was sort of saying, yeah, yeah, I, I really get that. And I said, so we were talking about sometimes it shows up as not being able to say no. And she said, oh, I can say no. And so then I said, oh, yeah, and, and how often do you say no? And she said, oh, well, but something entirely different. Huh. So I think test your justification by asking yourself, is this a pattern mm. or is this a one-off in this instance? Mm. Because if it's a pattern, it's a recurring thing, so it might be more from the passive defensive than, than you know, the constructive intent that you're talking to yourself about. Mm. Mm. I've got one more for you, Corinna. I think it's a bit of a doozy. It comes Saving up, the best for last. Best for last, which is being humble mm. versus self-deprecating. Mm. You know? And and so mm. a lot, you know, it's interesting, I think, in Australia and probably a lot of countries around the world, there's a lot of sayings, you know, for, well, I don't want to have tickets on myself. Mm. You know, don't toot your own horn. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's blow, lots of them. Blow your own trumpet. Blow your own trumpet. Um, Tall poppy syndrome. All that stuff, right? And yeah. so so I like I debrief a lot of people and they're like, Well, you, you want to be humble, mm. but often really which is a good thing, we want to be humble. We can learn and grow then, right? But often it's kind of gone past the point of being humble to the point of like, I'm actually beating myself up now. Mm. You know, it's not even a realistic assessment anymore. Mm. You know, it's actually, mm. you know, gone beyond. What do you reckon? Yeah. Yes, it's one that comes up a lot and it's a, you know, humble and modest. We see Same as being socially yep. desirable mm-hmm. and uh, versus, you know, 
self-deprecating, self-condemning, you know, and someone can believe that they're being humble and modest when actually they're being self-deprecating. So what what's the, the difference? I think humble, it's really kind of hard to define humble without using, you know, humble is really this contained, you know, this kind of quiet assurance, I think, where you're not out there trying to grab all the glory, any glory all the time. You know, it's really being sort of quiet about your achievements. So I think humble can be constructive where you're not arrogant, you're not assuming that you know everything. You're really hum- humility allows space for other people to be involved with you, even though you might be really experienced in something. You don't flaunt that experience. You don't throw it in people's faces as a status, you know. So I think to me that's humility. I feel like I got there more towards the end of that (laughs) comment than the beginning. (laughs) And then I think the question for me when somebody sort of says I'm just being humble, it's really important to be be humble and their LSI has a lot of green in it, I say for me the question is, you know, talk to me about how you're humble and how that shows up in your relationships with your colleagues and then get a, an understanding of how they define humble. And invariably, it always comes back to, I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want yes. to be seen as prideful. I don't want to be, you know, sort of, you know, have a big head. These are the terms mm-hmm. that come around. And so I think that when we talk humble, but the language that we associate with it is black and white, any sense of claim and accomplishment is seen as bad or arrogant, mm. that's when it mm. gets in the way of being constructive. The other side is when humility, which is not flaunting or, you know, displaying, mm. overly displaying mm. my achievements, going to self-deprecating, when it's not about humility and it's actually about self-deprecating is the inability to take compliment the inability to actually say, you know, this is what I do really well. And so I think that not only am I unable to do that, I criticise myself. So I think humility, you can accept yourself, you can claim your accomplishments without having to flaunt it, without having to use it as a status symbol, whereas I think self-deprecation is when you find it difficult to acknowledge anything that's good about yourself. And not only that, you have a tendency to identify everything that you don't think. You know, you're critical. Your go-to is to be critical about yourself and to undermine, underplay, understate any of your achievements. Yeah, I think you know, humble and confident are not mutually exclusive terms. Yeah. And yeah. I think even more so if true confidence is doesn't have to beat the chest, you know. And in the last yeah. episode, we talked about yeah. confidence versus bravado, which is sort of I've got to yeah. tell everyone how brilliant I am. Yeah. You know, but if you see people who are genuinely deeply confident, they don't need to do that because just no. the way they carry themselves and conduct themselves, it's clear. And, and I think that's the self-actualizing, right? They don't need to do that because they know that in themselves. Right. It doesn't have to be a big sort of jazz hand song and dance and a celebration every time. It's just a... It's a quiet acceptance, a quiet, you know, their self-confidence is intact and self-esteem, they're providing their, you know, they've got a good self sense of self-esteem so they don't have to display and advertise their work or the things that they've done. Mm. So it's so interesting though because it brought up again that idea of 
you know, almost you're saying people were defining it in the opposite. You know, I don't want to be yeah. arrogant. I yeah. don't want to be this, yeah. which is kind of going right over to the other yeah. side and to that red side. But yeah. there's a third way, which is that humble confidence. Yeah. Know? And so I it's love an that honest and realistic assessment. You know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people talk about I was brought up to be modest and humble and you weren't, you know, allowed to do that or this was frowned down upon. And for me, it's, you said it there, Dom, it's about decoupling this idea that being humble is the opposite of being confident. Mm -hmm. You know, that we've got to help people decouple that concept that being humble means that you can't say good things about yourself or you can't, you know, claim the things that you really, you can feel justifiably proud of. Mm. So I think, you know, sometimes the way we all grow up, we we join these concepts together that don't always help. Yeah, totally. All right, Corinne, those are all the the border cases I could come up with at least. And yeah, I, but, but I'm sure there's job, I'm sure there's tons more actually. You know, and and I love them because you know often it's just small adjustments. You know, like how do we look at what's my motivation? You know, how do we mm. tweak it and adjust it? Our mindset to fall from one side of the line to the other. Mm. You know, to swing mm. up from approval, conventional, dependent, you know, swing it up above the line. Mm. Um, and what does that look like? Because it doesn't have to be a million miles apart. And I think it's a really important topic, these borderlines, because I think sometimes people can generally identify the extremes of right. the styles, the high levels, but it's mm. harder to identify and to understand what this means for me if you've got other things in your profile. It's not just avoidance, it's not just True. you know one style there's other things and so part of the value i think having these conversations with you dom is hopefully there's something in the conversation that we're having you know and this isn't like a, an objective truth they're ideas that we're sharing mm. but something kind of rings true and it helps somebody kind of accept or understand the lsi insight they've been given if it's helped you we'd love to hear so, you know, we post these on, on our LinkedIn page. So follow us there and, and leave a comment would be awesome. You know, we'd love to get the conversation going. Speaking of conversations, we've, we've had it. So thanks for your time today, Corinne. Um, thanks, Dom. And for taking us through those border cases. But let's keep it going on, on LinkedIn and our social media. Yeah, I'd love to hear a, a big roaming conversation about it. Awesome. I'll see you on another episode. Sure thing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.